today at the Willow Avenue Church of Christ. If you're visiting, we want you to know we are glad that you are here. I know that we've got several who are visiting, and if the members would look around and make note of them, and please make them feel welcome. We will meet again at 6 o'clock tonight as we continue our worship, and we hope that you will be with us at that time. Last week, I mentioned to you about polishing the pulpit. It's called PTP. It takes place once a year in Sevierville, Tennessee in the month of August, and it is a great thing to go to. There are hundreds of speakers, hundreds of lessons, and uh, I have been every year that I've been able for the last uh, 15 years or so. One of the great things is I get to go and not only deliver lessons, but to hear lessons from other people that I get to bring, come back and share with you. One of the lessons today came from Polishing the Pulpit. I actually spoke to the brother who delivered it and said, can I have your permission to deliver this lesson? And he graciously said yes. If you can't go to Polishing the Pulpit, I want to remind you that the congregation here has a subscription to PTP 365, and you can log on and watch all of these lessons going back for years. And so call the church office, and we will let you know how you can take advantage of that. I know that for the last couple of years, there have been some hard things that have taken place at the Willow Avenue Church of Christ. There has been a preacher change, and that's always a hard thing. Now there is a youth minister change, and that is always a difficult thing as well. Of course, there was a tornado that hit, and that caused difficulties. And then there was COVID, which hurt nearly every congregation that I know of. But I think we're in a very good place right now. We have some most excellent elders who are willing to lead and to stand, and for that we have to be very thankful. Many congregations don't have elders like we do. We have some outstanding people here who have a mind to work, and that's what it's going to take. I believe that we're going to grow not only numerically, but spiritually and in a knowledge of God's Word. But it might be that you were here this morning and despite all the blessings and the good things, maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you have some things that you are struggling with. And I know that we've got some individuals here today because I've talked to them who are going through some hardships and some difficulties and some struggles. And so this morning's lesson and tonight's are ones that are designed to encourage us. This morning, I want you to think about six things to consider when you are thinking about quitting the Lord. You know, Jesus always encouraged his disciples not only to begin the Christian life, but also to end it well. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, Jesus said, But he that endures to the end will be saved. The Lord wants us to endure, not to give up, not to quit. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Two management professors from Harvard University wrote in the Harvard Business Review an article entitled 13 Signs That Employers Should Look For That Shows Their Employees Are About to Quit. 
And they gave these signs to sort of tip off employers because sometimes employees don't just tell you, I'm going to leave in a few weeks or a few months or I'm thinking about quitting. They just show up and say, I'm done. And so they said, here are some things to look for. Number one, they won't have a team spirit. That is, they sort of started, start getting away from everyone else and they're off to themselves and they lose their drive and they lose their focus. Number two, they produce more mediocre work than they ever have before. Number three, they start coming in late and they request time off. Number four, they, again, they want to be away and isolated from other people. They said you need to look for these signs because they show that an individual is on the verge of quitting and giving up. You know, sometimes elders and preachers and members, we can look at the lives of certain people and we can see that they're on the fringe and they're struggling and, and they might give up, but sometimes you don't see it at all. Sometimes you don't know that a brother or sister in Christ is right on the edge of their Christian faith and they're about to walk away. Sometimes there's no indication that an individual is about to throw in the towel and just give up everything. In 2018, there was a man named Vontae Davis. He was a 10-year veteran of the NFL. He played for the Indianapolis Colts. But in 2018, right in the middle of a game, in fact, it was halftime, he just quit. He just walked away and quit. They interviewed him afterwards, and they asked him, why did you quit? How could you do that right in the middle of the game? And he said, I just didn't feel it anymore. I just didn't feel right being out there anymore. There was no sign. There was no indication throughout his career or in the game, and yet he did it. He just quit in the middle of the game. You know, Christianity is not so much about how we start, but rather about how we finish. And you might be here this morning, and on the outside, everything looks good, but maybe deep down inside, it took all of your being just to get dressed and to come here today. Maybe you're really on the edge. Maybe with your mouth, you're singing songs of faith, but deep down in your heart, there's a void. Maybe you're bowing your head, but your resolve is bowed just as low as your head. Maybe you're about to quit. I want to tell you this morning, you can't quit no matter what happens. You can't quit the Lord. God wants you to start, but He also wants you to finish. And so this morning, we're going to talk about six things to consider when you're thinking about quitting the Lord. Here is number one. When you think about quitting the Lord, when you think about giving up on your faith, I want you to remember that you're in good company. Now you think, what are you talking about when you say that? The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who were about to give up their faith. And what the Hebrew writer does throughout the book is he encourages them to remember that what they have in Jesus is better. Don't give up. Hebrews 7 and verse 19, he says we have a better hope. 7 and verse 22, he says we have a better covenant. Chapter 8 and verse 6, he says we've got a better mediator. We've got better promises. How could you go back to the law of Moses? Hebrews 10 and verse 34, we have a better possession. When you get to chapter 11, we have what you call the hall of faith. There's kind of this roll call of faithful men like Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and women like Rahab and Sarah. And he gets to chapter 11 and verse 13 and he says, These all died in faith. 
And then he finishes the chapter, and you get to chapter 12 and verse 1, and he says, he gives us this great encouragement. He says, seeing that we are surrounded, the King James says, encompassed by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us with endurance, with perseverance. He's saying this, if you ever think about quitting, just remember that you're in good company. Brethren, Hebrews chapter 11 is a list of faithful individuals, and it's there to say to us, not only that they were faithful, not only that they lived righteous lives, but it's also there to crush the idea that people in the Bible were 10 feet tall. Sometimes we have the idea that these people were faithful, but they didn't have any problems, that when they did have problems, they could communicate to God in such a way that their problems just vanished away. But James tells us in James chapter 5 and verse 17, Elijah was a man just like you. The point is, these people in Hebrews chapter 11 who were faithful, these were people who struggled. These were people who wanted to give up. These were people who were pressed to the point. Some of them asked God to take their lives. And yet, in the book of Numbers, you find Moses so frustrated with the people of Israel. He says, God, you deceived me. You caused me to bring these people out. I haven't given birth to these people. These are not my people. And he says, God, I wish you would just kill me. I am ready to quit. You know about Job. We know about his hardships and the many times throughout the book of Job that he curses the day of his birth. He wishes God would just take his life, chapter two, verse, or chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Abraham, of course, he gets frustrated. He circumvents the plan that God has for him because God wasn't performing it at the speed that he thought that he should. And so in Genesis chapter 16, 1 through 4, he goes to Hagar and he says, well, maybe this is what God wants. He's just giving up on the faith of what God wanted him to do. And you can't forget Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19, two times Elijah says, I'm the only one left. And he says, God, if it's going to be this way, just take my life. What the Bible is telling us is these people who were in the hall of the faithful, they've been there before. If you ever think about quitting the Lord, remember that you are in good company. Now, this isn't giving us ammunition just to look back and throw a historical pity party, but it's to say these people sat where you sit. They've struggled mightily, and yet they were able to persevere. They made it through to the other side, and you look at them, and the Bible is saying you can do the same thing. You don't have to give up because other people have been right where you are, and they made it. James 5, 10, and 11 says, Consider the prophets as an example of endurance and suffering. And he says, You've heard about the patience of Job, and you've seen the compassion of the Lord. He's full of tender mercy. You can count on God to lead you through. Scholastic.com released an article to parents, and they said, As soon as your children are old old enough, you should start reading to them biographies of famous people. And one of the reasons they said that is because children need to hear about people who have succeeded, people who have lived to a standard that most people think is excellent, and you need to read about their failures and about their struggles 
and about their doubts and about their fears and how through perseverance they made it. Because people get the idea that people who are successful and made it, that they've just had a, a life of roses. They don't realize that these people fought and struggled and many of them came through tremendous adversity and trials and difficulties. But you know, it's not just good for children to read this and hear this. It's good for adults. We need to read inspired biographies that you find in the Scripture and see that they made it through and so can I. That's why the Hall of Faith is there. Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith is there to say, not just to say, look how incredibly awesome these people were, that they were head and shoulders above you. The point is, here are people just like you who had heavy weights and heavy burdens and immense struggles, and yet they made it. And you know, even today, maybe you've got people that you think of as giants in the faith, and yet they struggle too. I sometimes, I remember years ago, I talked to an older preacher, and he was telling me about how some people had beaten him up, and the opposition, and the struggles, and the things that he faced, and I thought, I can't believe that happened to him. I thought that was just me. Knowing that he went through that made me stronger. You know what? You're not the only one who sometimes doesn't want to read his Bible. You're not the only Christian who struggles with prayer or whose congregation is having difficulties, or who's having family struggles or marital issues. If you ever think about quitting, number one, remember that you are in good company. Number two, if you ever think about quitting, ask yourself why. Ask yourself why you became a Christian in the first place. In the book of Galatians, the churches there are being overrun with false doctrine. And the Judaizing teachers have come in, and the Galatians are being told that, in fact, Paul tells the Galatians that they are about to turn to another gospel, he says, which is not really another, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And so what Paul does is he bombards them with a series of questions for them to think about. He's trying to get them to think about what they're doing. And so Galatians chapter 3, he doesn't just say to them, you shouldn't quit. He says, here are some serious questions I want to ask you. And so, chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not believe the truth? That is, who's tricked you? Think about that. Chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not, contend, that you should not continue? That is, he says, I've got some questions for you. Think through these things. Chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, how did you re receive the Spirit? Was it by faith or was it by the old law? They're trying to get you to go to the old law. These miraculous abilities, they didn't come through the old law. Think about that. Oh, foolish Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? That is, going back to the law of Moses, logically stop and think. It doesn't make sense. He says, have you gone through all of this stuff for no reason? Have you suffered in vain? Paul is trying to get them to think about that. Now, what's the point for us? What's the application? You see, sometimes our feelings get the best of us, and we need to stop and let our minds work. Sometimes we need to stop and reason through things and not just go with our feelings. Sometimes we need to interrogate our hearts and ask, why am I feeling this way? 
The psalmist did this in Psalm 42 and verse 5, and in chapter 43 of Psalms, he says, Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? That is, he's posing a question to his own heart. He's not listening to his heart. He interrogates his heart, and he comes to the right conclusion. That is, hope in God. He says, I will yet praise him. If you ever think about quitting the Lord, you need to ask yourself, why? Why do people quit? Why do people quit? You know, sometimes people quit because they will say, you know, I have worked hard and nobody's noticed. I have thrown myself into this and nobody cares. When I do that, I need to logically stop and think, am I being like the elder brother? You know, the prodigal son's elder brother in Luke chapter 15 and verse 29 when he says, I've never transgressed your commandment. I've done all these great things and you never threw a party for me. Maybe I've got that problem. Sometimes people quit because they feel like they've been ignored. Sometimes people quit because they're suffering. That is, hardship enters their lives and they weren't expecting that. You know, Jesus says that in the world you will have tribulation, you're going to have hardship, but they weren't expecting it. And so because the hardship has come, they, they just quit. You know, sometimes people quit because of temptation. Everybody's tempted. But when the temptation comes, sometimes people succumb to it and they quit the Lord because they feel like they can't get over the hump, they can't get beyond this temptation, and so they're ready to throw in the towel. If you ever think about quitting Jesus, you need to ask yourself some questions. Not only why you're thinking about quitting, but ask yourself, why did I become a Christian to begin with? I think some people think that uh, they, they enter Christianity with the wrong expectations. And when their expectations aren't met, they think, well, Christianity's no good. Christianity hasn't fixed my anxiety and my depression and my marital problems and my self-esteem and my confidence. But is that why you became a Christian in the first place? Did you become a Christian to take care of your anxiety and your depression? Now, certainly living the Christian life is going to make some things go better, but God never promised you that earthly woes were going to go away when you became a Christian. In fact, on the contrary, the Lord said, when you live things according to the law of Christ, some things are going to be harder. Some things are going to be more difficult, and we ought to expect that. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, whoever doesn't take up his cross daily and follow after me is not worthy of me. You know what it means to take up your cross? When you would take up your cross in the New Testament, you were going to die. You were going to Calvary. He's saying there's some things you've got to die to, and that's not easy. You know, ask yourself, why did you become a Christian? Was it because you thought it was going to be easy and that you would never suffer? You know, Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, if any man suffers as a Christian, he shouldn't be ashamed, but he should glorify God on that behalf. Friends, the truth of the matter is, we all became Christians, not so that all the problems of the world would go away, but because we knew that Jesus Christ was our only hope. Because of our sin, we were going to lose our souls eternally, but we realized that God, through His grace, gave us Jesus Christ. We wanted to be saved, and with that in mind, we should press toward the goal and not quit. Number three... If you ever think about quitting the Lord, remember the consequences. If you think about giving up, remember what the Bible says is going to happen. 2 Peter 2 and verse 20, 
talks about Christians, for if after they escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, not to become a Christian, than after having known it, to depart from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Now listen to verse 22. This is a quote from the Old Testament. But listen what he says. But it happened to them according to the true Proverbs, Proverbs eleven twenty six. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed, returns to the mire. Peter says, if you turn back after having been a Christian, if you quit on the Lord, the end is going to be worse than it has ever been. The latter end is going to be more horrible than being lost in the beginning. I've got a deep, deep question for you this morning. I want you to think about this. Why do dogs eat vomit? It's a good question, right? You say, because they're dogs. That's what dogs do. The scientific answer is this. Dogs, because their sense of smell is so strong, after they had vomited the food, they are able to block out all the smells of the filth that makes it vomit, and in their minds, they, still, they smell the food, and they imagine the meal that they tasted for the first time, and so they dig in. What kind of illustration is that for us? The Lord is making the point, when we turn away from Jesus Christ and we go back to the world, we've forgotten the smell of the filth. We've forgotten the stench of sin. We've forgotten the punishment that comes from it, and we're like the dog, and we just dig in. You know, sometimes there's a person who goes to a prestigious school or they get a great job and maybe some things happen and they're frustrated there and they're about to throw in the towel. And people who are their employers or the higher-ups in the school, they try to encourage them, don't quit. They'll say, take some time off, think through this, but if you quit, you may not be able to come back. Several years ago, I worked for UPS while I was uh, preaching just so that I could get some health insurance. And one thing about UPS, at least then, I don't know if it's the same way, but if you ever quit, they wouldn't take you back. And so if you were thinking about quitting, management would say to you, now you need to think very, very seriously because if you quit this job, you can't come back to this job. Now I'm not suggesting that if you quit the Lord, you can't come back to the Lord because the Bible says the opposite. But what I'm saying is this, a lot of people who quit never do come back. A lot of prodigals never come home. Stop and think about the consequences. Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48, the Lord says, if you quit Jesus Christ and you go to eternity that way, he says you will be beaten with many stripes. Those who knew the Lord's will and did not do it would be beaten with many stripes. What that means is a more severe punishment in hell. If you quit the Lord, the consequences will be that your name will be blotted out of the book of life. Revelation 21.8, you will be cast into the lake of fire. And I think sometimes people can convince themselves that they can quit the Lord, but they don't stop to think about the consequences. Many of the things that we do in life that are bad, it's because our emotions get the best of us, and we don't stop and think about the consequences. Let me move on for the sake of time. When you think about quitting the Lord, remember your church family. 
Remember that in the Lord we are family. 1 Timothy 3.15 calls the church the house of God. And what that means is you don't have to struggle alone. You know, in the book of Exodus chapter 17, Israel is engaged in a battle against the people of Amalek. And Moses, you remember, as long as he held his arms up, the people would win. They would succeed. But if his arms dropped, they would begin to lose the victory. And so after hours of doing this, it was getting too hard to do it by himself. And so two men, Aaron and Hur, came and supported his arms and held them up so that they could win the victory. Israel wins. They succeed, but only because his brethren were there to hold up his hands. Brethren, the same thing is true for us. We've got to hold, hold up each other's hands. The problem is no one can hold up your hands if you hide your hands. Sometimes we're struggling, sometimes we're going through things, and nobody else knows we're struggling because we keep it a secret. You know, sometimes we're about to get, give up, and we come to services, and people say, how are you doing? You know what we say? Fine. Everything's fine. Everything's going fine, but it's not. Sometimes our life is a mess. Sometimes things are in terrible shape. Sometimes we are one invitation song away from going through the back door. We're about to quit, but we don't tell anyone because everything's fine. Remember that you've got a Christian family and you don't have to give up. You know, Hebrews 10.25, we talk about that when we preach against forsaking the assembly. It says don't forsake the assembly. But verse 24, the previous verse says, exhort one another daily while it is called today. That is, we need to encourage each other, build each other up. If we don't do, in fact, if we do what verse 24 says, maybe people wouldn't violate verse 25. But sometimes we do this in reverse, don't we? We wait until a person forsakes the assembly, and then we go and encourage them. And certainly we ought to do that, but maybe we need to put the verses back in the right order. If you ever think about quitting, just look around the assembly, think about other Christians who are going through some great difficulties, who are experiencing hardship, and yet they are sticking through it. They are pushing through the difficulties. They don't surrender. They are refusing to give up. They are refusing to turn back. And then you say to yourself, they don't have any more of God's love than I do. And if they can do it, I can do it. If she's sticking to it, I can stick to it. If he hasn't quit Jesus, then I'm not going to quit. And if you're not thinking about quitting, then look around at other people and lift them up because there are people, I guarantee you, in this room this morning who are struggling. You know, if you took your family to Disney World and you were about to leave the park and you looked around and you realized that you were missing a family member, depending on which family member it was, you'd probably go back and look for them, right? You wouldn't just leave. You wouldn't just say, well, that's all right. We'll just leave them behind. You would go back and you'd find them. You know, if you ever think about quitting, just remember you've got a church family. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 says, Brethren, if anyone wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Here's number five. When you're thinking about quitting the Lord, remember the crown that awaits you. James chapter 1 and verse 12 says, 
Blessed is the man that endures temptation, that is, perseveres under trials, because after he has persevered, he'll receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to them that love him. That is, if you persevere, it's going to be worth it. You're going to be glad that you did it. You know, the book of Revelation is oftentimes called one of the hardest books in the Bible, and there are certainly some confusing things in the book of Revelation. But the overall gist of the book is very simple. It is this. God says everyone who overcomes is going to be rewarded. Seventeen times throughout the book of Revelation, John writes that Jesus promises a blessing to those who overcome. To the seven churches of Asia, in the first three chapters, he says if you overcome, there's the tree of life. If you overcome, there's the crown of life. If you overcome, your name will be in the book of life. Over and over and over, John is driving this point home Persecution is rampant, hardship is ever about you, but you can persevere. If you overcome, you will be glad that you did. In 1999, the top search engine on the internet was Excite.com. Google was the new kid on the block, and Excite.com had the opportunity to buy Google for $750,000. They passed it up. It, it was too much. Today, Google is worth around $130 billion. They missed out. If they had purchased it at the price it was then available, today it would be worth tens of thousands of times more. Now, sure, that would have been a heavy cost. It's almost $750 million. That is worth a lot. But listen, it is nothing compared to to what they would have received. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4.17, Our light affliction is for but a moment. It is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What's he saying? What you're doing now is going to be hard, but if you will persevere, it's going to be worth it. Hebrews 6 and verse 10 says, God is not unrighteous so as to forget your labor of faith and service toward him. That is, God's not going to forget. Every prayer you've prayed, everything that you've done for the Lord, He's not going to forget this. Think about the crown. Here's number six. Whenever you think about quitting, remember Jesus. We started in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, but you get to verse 2, and after saying we're encompassed by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is, remember all these people who made it, then He says... Remember Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. If you ever think about quitting, he says, remember Jesus. You know, we worship and praise Jesus as divine, and we should, but the Bible holds him up as a true and genuine human being. The best human being, yes, but still a human being. And the Bible says he knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to cry to God and get no favorable response. The Bible says he offered strong tears and prayers and cries to God, and he was heard because of his godly reverence, Hebrews 5 and verse 7. And God did not give him exactly what he wanted at that moment in time, but he gave him strength to persevere. And the Hebrew writer says in verse 3 that one of the things that will help keep us faithful when we want to quit 
is to consider the hostility that he went through. The cross was not pleasurable for Jesus, but he persevered. And then in verse 4, he says this, You haven't gone that far. That is, you haven't fought against sin to the point of having to shed your blood. You haven't had to stand to the point of dying. He says, think about Jesus and everything that he went through. He knows what it's like. And he's interceding for you right now. Romans 8 and verse 34. He's next to the heavenly Father saying, I know what it's like down there. I know what they're going through. It is difficult. Hebrews 7 and verse 25 says, One of the reasons that Jesus rose from the dead is He lives to ever make intercession for you. He knows what it's like. He wants you to overcome. He wants you to be in heaven with Him. He is our great example. And John 19 and verse 30, He said, It is finished. John 17 and verse 4, He said, I finished the work that you gave me to do. Friends, here's the point I'm making. It is characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus Christ to finish and not to quit. You know, there's an old saying that we tell kids, and that is, quitters never win and winners never quit. And that's true in Christianity. You know, we all start out with the mindset, I really want to do it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to finish. But if we are honest, even as Christians... We don't always feel like doing Christian things. We don't always feel like we want to sing. We don't always want to pray. We don't always want to praise. We don't always want to study. But we still shouldn't quit. We need to remember God has done all of these things for us. We need to remember the consequences. We need to remember Jesus who was oftentimes fatigued. He was bloody. He was tired. He was betrayed. And yet in the end, he was a finisher. Listen to this statement. I'm going to wrap up. God doesn't really care about the condition you're in when you finish. He just wants you to finish. He wants you to keep moving, keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep striving. And if you get to the finish line, there is a crown that awaits you. Thank you for your good attention today. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to obey the gospel. Bible teaches that you've got the opportunity to access the grace of Christ, and you do that by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, being baptized to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Maybe you want to do that this morning. We're ready to assist you. Maybe this morning you're a child of God, and maybe you've had struggles in your life. Maybe you've got sin that's been public, and you want to take care of it publicly. Maybe you desire the prayers of your brethren on your behalf. We would be delighted and honored if we could do that this morning. Today, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come? Together we stand and sing the invitation song.